Amy Carson, and this is The Balance, Understanding Nonprofit Finance. In today's episode, Billy Martin and Tonya Papke join me to talk about the importance of financial storytelling. Morning. Welcome to The Balance. My first guest today is Billy Martin, the Executive Director of the Creative Music Foundation. Welcome, Billy. Hi, Amy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. So, Billy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the Creative Music Foundation, who you guys are, your mission, who you support? Yeah, absolutely. Carl Berger and his wife, Ingrid Serzo and Ornick Holman, founded Creative Music Studio, uh, the foundation, around 1971 up in Woodstock, New York. That's a famous period where like everybody came up and spent six weeks at a time, or even longer, and lived up there and lived with great you know, artists, whether it was Ola Tunji or it was Don Cherry or it was Pat Metheny or Carla Blay. Anthony Braxton, the Art Ensemble of Chicago, these legendary maverick artists, you know, and, and quite a few of them have, are MacArthur geniuses. Creative Music Studio Mission, we focus on performing artists, composers, listeners. We conduct workshops and performances demonstrating how this works, how we can develop our own musical vocabulary. Sometimes we have retreats upstate in the Catskills. We have a relationship with a new school in New York where we conduct workshops there. We also have performances, demonstrate you know, how we work together, how different musicians can work together, whether they're classical or jazz or folk musicians or just you know experimental performers. So, so you get this exposure to these different artists who have a particular vision of their own, a personal vision on how to get people to, to create together. So our mission is really to share these ideas, to share the ideas of various visionary artists, and hopefully that that will just, you know, spread across communities, help people to improvise and find their own voice. They welcome people from all backgrounds of music. It's not about style or genre. It's about finding your own musical language and empowering people to become their own artists, their own, you know, creative composers, performers. I'm an artist. I'm a musician, creative artist, drummer, played with a lot of bands. I ran a small, I have a, still have a small record label, Amulet Records. I was asked to come onto the board at Creative Music Foundation, been asked to be an artistic director about five years ago. And Carl Berger, who's been the executive director over 50 years now, at a certain point, he asked me to take over the leadership. He's getting a little older. Things were getting a little out of control for him that he couldn't manage. So I took on that role. I was considering starting my own nonprofit for my own projects, particularly educational, alternative education. And this was kind of the perfect crossroad for me to see how this how this works if I can do this and Carl was very encouraging the board was really cool I felt very comfortable with it started tackling this you know leadership and at the time you were as you mentioned a relatively new executive director and you really wanted to understand the finances of the organization and you wanted just some really simple metrics to help you gauge where the organization was, where the organization was going. You really wanted to wrap your hands around all of it. So walk us back to that time. Help us understand where the organization was and what you were thinking. Yeah. You know, being that creative music studio is an artist run nonprofit. It's already, 
<laughs> sounds like a little bit of a problem. Um, so uh, even though I had some experience running a very independent record label uh, and be able to kind of keep a bank, you know, balance sheet uh, on my Excel, that's about as far as it went. Understanding a nonprofit and how it runs and the history of this organization, all of the laws and things, I was way out of my field. So there were issues with the bookkeeping in the past. There were friends, you know, who were helping some people on the board that were kind of former accountants and, and, you know, things were, you know, legit, you know, fairly legit, but it wasn't that clear. And, you know, I admit I'm just still learning. I knew that I needed an organization, a bookkeeper, people who really understood how nonprofits are governed, how they run, have that experience uh, with the financial aspect. It took a little bit of convincing to the board. They didn't want to spend any money because we really didn't have much money to add on this kind of service. But I put my foot down and I said, I, I just can't, I just don't trust myself or anybody else here, to be honest, that we can really understand, like, you know, how to move forward. And speaking of people who are very familiar with uh, small nonprofits organizations and the financial challenges uh, they face, I would like to introduce our next guest, Tonya Papke. Tonya, welcome to the show and thanks so much for being here. So Yeah, thank you so much for, for inviting me. This is very exciting. So I've been a CFO for 23 years, 26 years. And I spent the first 20 years uh, out of business school, traipsing around the third world, working in international development with um, reproductive rights organizations. And, and I was fighting, you know, bringing business skills to nonprofits um, around the world and, you know, for women who were trying to form a cooperative so that, you know, they could buy their produce cheaper in bulk. And, and then I, I decided that it was time to start my family and it was, I decided, okay, so let me, let me kind of settle down in New York for a while. And I, I started as a CFO at the Inner Church Center and I loved it. So I've been a CFO now since 95 and I, I've been a outsourced CFO since 2001. I generally work with about six clients at a time. And I think my skill set really is I go in and I'm like a partner to whoever the executive director is and and then kind of create and strengthen their infrastructure inside and, and usually work myself, try and work myself out of a job. So I'm leaving behind a controller who's trained in the skill set needed to, to be the number one person in that organization. So, Tonya, based on your experience, the story that Billy just described and your experience, you know, Billy, uh, Creative Music Foundation, it's, a, it's still a relatively, it's a growing but relatively small organization. What's your reaction to Billy's story? Well, I think, you know, like you said, an organization run by artists, yikes. But, <laughs> but you know, what I do is tell stories. Our language is different. But if the, an accountant has done a, a good job, what's coming out of financial statements tells the story of the organization. And that's how I approach accounting is really looking at how do you create a, a structure, an accounting system so that you can tell the story of the organization, which means if you're using QuickBooks, which most nonprofits, small nonprofits use, either online or desktop, if you don't 
think about it, it just starts with A and goes to S, right? So your first line item is advertising and your last item is salaries. Well, how does that tell anybody anything? You, you Even myself, I don't know what that means. So the first, you know, like you want to tell a story and stories have beginnings, they have chapters, they have lead-in sentences and the best kind of financial statements really are presented that way. Creating reports for an executive director in detail and then to the board so that the board can be walked through the story of the, of the organization in a way that non-financial people can understand. And that's really important to present it in a way that's a story rather than data. I love that, Tonya. And, and that's my own personal experience too. It's figuring out how to tell a story so that a social worker, a hedge fund manager, a teacher, an artist, like, so people of all different backgrounds get it. And I joke that I usually will test, and Billy, I did this with you, that we will usually test like an executive summary and, and the general story. I'll test it on my 11-year-old. And my general feeling is if he understands it, then anybody can. And so, and I think it's it's just getting down to that level of basics. So Billy, back to you. So now there are financial statements and there is a brief summary that's shared kind of with you and your board. How are you using this information? How are you using the financial statements that you now receive to make financial decisions? And how has that process maybe changed through the years? Well, uh, they certainly speak for themselves. I mean, the board is used to looking at a profit and loss, you know, statement and digging into some details and bringing some questions up. Yeah, I mean, it comes down sometimes to the bottom line, like, you know, what are we operating on? What are we looking at? Can we operate the next three months ahead, the next six months ahead? And when they start to see that those things are growing, that we have this safety net that's growing, that's when I can step in and say, hey, it's time to it's time to try this. We need to work on the, you know, uh, online division that I've been talking about for two years. This was pre-pandemic. I was very much convinced that online learning is something in the future that should be part of CMS. And they were pretty resistant to it. They were resistant to the to what potential expenses, production costs. And that as an example uh, came to light, of course, during the pandemic, and we were kind of a little bit more flush. So it's very simple. I mean, it really just comes down to the bottom line. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've learned, certainly learned a lot about salaries and, you know, I never really worked on a salary basis, these kind of things and operating costs and, and what what's our, you know, average monthly, you know, operating expenses, what's our annual, all those things like help me to just really be able to push through these these ideas. But could you, but Billy, could you actually, just a thought strikes me, could you bring us back? You had mentioned kind of just a general, and I think, I think this is really common it's common with artists. It's common with many social workers I work with. There's just a general fear, I think, or a discomfort around managing money. What are your thoughts around that? And, and maybe, and then, and how do you feel now, a few years later? Well, it's very scary. I mean, you know, you, there's a lot of responsibility there. And, you know, basically everything points to you when you're running an organization. So if you run it into the ground, you're screwed. Everybody's screwed. It's an awful feeling. So uh, that can get get a little scary. So having that confidence, being able to look at these reports, look back over you know a quarter, 
four quarters, two years, and start to see how things are starting to come together. This just helps me with my confidence in order for, you know, and the board to make decisions. Even though you're small and organizations are small, good habits really are easy to start when you're small. You know, to start on the accrual basis when you're $50,000 nonprofit, it's much easier. You have that rigor and you're always thinking, is this for this fiscal year or next fiscal year? And then always like having a good filing system so that you know where all your all your documentation is. Yeah. That's really great. Thank you. I do think we always say that kind of getting in and building your fiscal infrastructure while you're still, before you grow, it's much easier than coming in kind of after the fact. And Billy, I think that was your whole, I mean, that was your whole thing kind of when you came to us. Like, we want to explode. We want to do all of these things. I need to build it now. And I think recognizing that and just being able to set up the finances in that way is just so, so, so critical. Oh my God. Such a good, <laughs> I can't, yeah, it's just so important. Uh, the fact that, that I, that you had my back and you were trusted, you had a great track record and all that just made it easier to just, you know, that experience that we needed to bring in was so crucial to kind of rebuild and restructure was, was essential to you know, moving me moving forward with a kind of like a, a, a bit of a new vision, you know? Yeah. So, Billy, you had mentioned before about, you know, getting the board on the same page and managing that relationship. How has this changed the relationship with the board? So the board is now is now very involved in the finances. You now have a finance committee. You have you're we're able to run through the statements. They're then presenting, you know, the finance committee is presenting to the board of directors. Now that the board has a set of financial statements that they're reviewing monthly. And that they understand, or quarterly, and they understand, and they have faith in these statements and what they mean, and they see key financial metrics. Has that changed anything for you? Of course, in terms of yeah. how you can run the organization. Yeah, I, I think I think they they trust me <laughs> a little bit more. They feel like there's a sense of there's insurance, you know. Um, I'm guided by Brand K and guided by bookkeepers that understand, you know, how things work. So the structure is there. And that, that's honestly what I told them from the beginning. I don't want to have anything to do with, with grant writing alone or managing the finances in a way, you know, I, I, of course I can, I can project, you know, I can, I can give you a budget for certain projects and, and I can easily do that math, but I can't really do the reporting and all that. So yeah, just really just, you know, the confidence in, you know, their track record, you know, over the past couple of years. I'm in my fourth year. So it's really just get, having their, they trust, you know, where I'm going. Yeah. And I think that's been my experience too. And Tonya, I would definitely appreciate your thoughts here. One of the greatest things that I love about presenting financial statements and telling the story is building trust. Uh, because with trust comes engagement and people will now sign up to be the board treasurer and people will be on the finance committee and people will give the organization money because they have trust that their money is being managed. Tonya, I know you're working with lots of small organization. How does, how do you see this? You know, it's so important to have the, the fiscal house in order and we're going off in, into governance, but the executive director needs to support the board and the board, if you're going to attract really good board members who 
have been on boards, know what it means to be on boards, know what give or get means, then you have to have, you have to demonstrate that the organization is well run and that you as an executive director are supporting the board in a way that respects their time. I think the financial part of that is really important. Having a finance committee, having a strong governance committee, you know, and then having a board know that, yes, these, the, yeah, these financials make sense based on what last month said. Exactly. You know, and not having all these corrections come up and then this quarter doesn't match what was re- presented the last quarter. Exactly. Are you the one with your clients? Are you usually the one presenting to the finance committee or how does this, how does it work? Well, it, it, it depends because I have executive directors who were really savvy. So we'll put together the financials and then either the executive director or the treasurer will present. Mm -hmm. But you've prepped the treasurer. In a well-run, you know, well-established board, the the treasurer is the one that makes the presentations. For small small ones, I present, I I don't go to, I, I generally I don't because we were working and the executive director can present them. Sometimes I go in when there's some kind of issue. Okay. If I think if I was a full-time CFO when I was at the Interchurch Center and I was full-time CFO, I went to all the board meetings and I did make the presentation. Yeah. But in the way that I work, which is strength and internal capacity, and then work with the treasurers so that, that they understand them, then I am all behind the scenes. Interesting. Because what I'm hearing you say, Tonya, is that a big part of your job is training. Yes. And Billy, I think that's a lot of what's happened with you too. It's, there's a lot of just basic training that needs to happen. And if we as CFOs do our job right, Billy doesn't need to be an accountant, but it's certainly helpful for Billy to understand some basic financial metrics and just some basic concepts to be aware of. And so I think that's, that's a point. Yeah. I feel like I've definitely learned so much. I mean, I'm always telling people, I'm a student for life, you know, when it, when, it, when I walk into a workshop or a classroom, the first thing I say, I'm a student for life, like I'm learning all the time. So it's no different being an ex- executive director and understanding the, trying to understand the finances and can get very complex. So I've learned a lot sitting down with you, going over these things, understanding coding. And it's still, it's still in a way, and, and Tanya, you'll probably agree, there is a little, there is a creative process on how you code things and you know mm-hmm. where you put them because it's not just so cut and dry all the time. And there are some things we're very, we could be very innovative with our programs and, Oh, wait, no one's ever thought of that. How do we fund that? Or where do right. we put that? What category we put that in? So I couldn't, I couldn't just come up with that, you know, in an accounting statement or whatever or in the tax forms, I need a CFO to say, this is, that really fits here, you know, and I've learned so much and I still have so much to learn. I'm really still, <laughs> I don't want to learn everything. <laughs> I'd much rather have a professional have my back. <laughs> but, you know, this is when like an outsourced service like Amy's company really works well. The impact is huge when the executive director says, you're part of my team. You know, from our experience, Amy can probably say that when I go in and here's the finance function over here and I and program doesn't talk, there is no intercommunication between program and um, and finance. It's really hard to do my job because we're such a team and 
we have to be in order to to make it a stronger organization. Antonia, that is literally the subject of the podcast that I'm doing tomorrow, more oh. with finance <laughs> and fundraising, but on the program level too. It's all related. That too, absolutely. I told a joke. I was working with the Lawyers Alliance long time. No, the Lawyers Committee for Human Rights. And and, and the, the development director and I spent most of our days together. And our kids were the same age. So we, you know, it's like, we watched our children grow together. That's how close development and finance work. And if you think about this siloed, forget it. We won't be successful. It's absolutely relevant that we all need to have each other's back. And so, yeah, I love that. I love what you just said. And then just some final thoughts from both of you. Billy, what would be two to three pieces of advice that you would give to another executive director of a small nonprofit that's looking to grow? <laughs> Uh, be open-minded, uh, pay attention to your, to your board, pay attention to the mission, uh, be careful about, you know, just be careful with your, with your budget, uh, and make sure that you can operate, you know, and I think it does start with like having some financial, the bookkeeping CFO kind of stuff, like is really, I think it's essential, like it's essential. And because, because being a nonprofit, you can raise money and you can approach people to help your organization grow. And you need to, need to be able to, you know, show that you're responsible. That's great, Billy. Thank you. Tonya, same question back to you. Yeah. So I think that the organizations who survived this had three to six months of cash reserves. So we've talked about this, <laughs> Amy, in our field for many, many years of having a, an objective, a specific objective that you discuss during the budgeting process. And we've actually put it in some of the budgets, like to say, we're going to budget $30,000 a year. That's part of our, our budget that we're going to then put into a reserve fund. Because people who went into this pandemic without cash did not come out of this pandemic. Tonya, I couldn't agree with you more. That's how the majority of our clients survived. That's who survived. And then now we're talking about those who have this. Now it's even larger. And so what do you do with those funds? You know, I have two clients now who have a million dollars. They're million dollar organizations with a million dollars. So we're actually discussing a board reserve fund that takes that cash out of their checking account and says, let's invest this for long-term capital growth because we believe in this organization. It's something you can say to donors, yes, we have a lot of money, but we're building a strong organization that you can invest in. We're ready for growth. We've got the infrastructure. We've got a good governance structure. If you want to grow as a nonprofit, you have to be able to attract good board members with skill sets and they're not going to come into an organization that doesn't have the infrastructure that we've been talking about. But we've been talking about like, all right, you can't leave this million dollars in your money market account. Let's take, let's take half of that out and put it into equities, hire an investment manager. And really that's the story you tell your donors because they've been worried. Oh, we've got too much cash. People won't give us money. Well, then you have a strategy. Here's how you tell your story. The board, this is a board designated reserve. And so then that's invested and for long-term capital growth. And then, Billy, you were talking about projects. So the board can say, okay, we're going to take $100,000 out of this project, out of the board reserve fund for this project. That's thinking about the future for small startups or maybe not startups, but small organizations who have a mission that 
that are growing, you know, this is, this is incredible. I, I have to share some, some good news with you. And also it relates to just what you said at the last board meeting, it was a really strong one for me. I had really started to think about what is this organization? What is Creative Music Foundation going to look like in 10 years, in five years, 10 years, 50 years, and a hundred years? I want the board to think about that. Perfect. You know, I, I want to bring in a whole younger generation, a very diverse, you know, uh, this is like, you know, necessary. And I, and I really want to see the future in younger people. And I want to see it. I want everybody to envision how it would look without us. And how can we set that up? Because it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. We're going to be out of here, you know, sooner than you think. And that's a good thing. Like, I, you know, I'm not hanging on to this thing. Like, this is a job I need to have the rest of my life. It's like, I, it's a legacy. It's a, it's a vision. You know, I have my own things I want to do. But let's talk about endowment. What is an endowment? How can we do this? Is there reserve money mm-hmm. that we can start to think about? What would we do with it? And guess what? A friend called me up and said, I'm thinking about leaving your organization some money and it could be, you know, a million or more. And I was just like, this is, I can't believe it. Like we just started talking about this. So, so that's the next step, you know, of like what, you know, wow, this is happening. Like this is really potentially going to happen. Of course, I'm not, you know, counting my chickens, but, but we're at this crossroad now and it's a strong potential that's going to happen. Now it's like, well, now let's get serious. And the fact that you brought that up, Tony, is like amazing non-coincidence, I would say. (laughs) So Billy, Tonya, thank you so much for participating. This has been an absolutely extraordinary conversation and I really, truly value so many of these insights. Thank you both again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Balance. I'm your host, Amy Carson. You can learn more about our company, Brand K Partners, and what we do at brandkpartners.com. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, and this episode was produced by David Hoffman and Alex Brower. If you like the show, never miss an episode by subscribing on all your favorite podcast apps. And please leave a rating and a review. See you next week.